Welcome to the College Football Playoff Show, where college football playoff contenders earn the right to be discussed and where the playoff never ends. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Thanks to you guys for joining us on the Wednesday show. A lot of Big Ten talk this week. We're going to talk about Ohio State-Penn State this coming weekend. Talk about Michigan-Michigan State. And I want to get a better handle on Oregon because I did get a chance to watch the entire Oregon game this week. And they, Shahan, are two completely different teams from drive to drive. But (laughs) I'm intrigued by them and how they fit in this playoff mix. This will be our last Wednesday show where we're not talking about actual rankings, Shahan. And I kind of, I love what we've been doing. I thought our preseason shows were really good when we launched here. You guys can go back and listen in the feed where we were kind of doing playoff things and talking about candidates at a time when not many people are talking about the playoff in August. But this is when our audience will explode. All you people listening now, you are in on the ground floor next week. It's called Search Engine Optimization. You put playoff in the headline of your podcast, and you get like 4 million listeners because everyone's going to be Googling the podcast. That's not the only reason we did this show, just for search engine. We actually want to provide content. But Shahan, like, if you're listening right now, you've got all the buildup, but we're a week away from the real deal. And I think the rankings next week are going to tell us a lot about how the committee's thinking. What a great first year to do this show, right? I mean, this is as open a year, I think, as there's been in a long time. I think that there's going to be some real surprises next week. Unfortunately, I think that uh, that Cincinnati maybe being a little lower than I would like might be one of them. But I mean, the AP poll criteria and the college football playoff committee criteria are not the same thing. And so I'm going to be curious to see when we head into next week, how do they make sense of something like Ohio State versus Oregon? How do they make sense of something like Oklahoma versus Cincinnati? It'll be really interesting. No, I think those are the four teams that are going to tell us exactly how the playoff race is going to shake out because where they put them now, right? Who still has a lot of chances to make their case? Who doesn't? Where Cincinnati is in the first rankings will tell you exactly how much of a chance Cincinnati has of being in in the final rankings in December. But let's talk about the teams in our rankings. We're also, now listen, this would be a good time. If you're not a tech subscriber now, this would be a good time to get in because we're going to have our shadow committee. And we're going to unveil the shadow committee this week where we're going to be a three-person committee. Shahan is a person. Doug is a person. Debatable. And then everybody else, the tech subscribers, are one giant person. It's like a giant trench coat with everybody stacked up on top of each other for Halloween, you know, several hundred feet tall. You're all one person with your vote. We want you to think like committee members. And then we're going to compile that and we're going to have our rankings each week and see how they compare to the real committee's rankings. So when we do our rankings in the middle of the show, that's what it's going to be this week. The compilation of our shadow committee thinking like committee members. But first, We have to see if someone's joining the mix. We have 11 teams in our playoff discussion, and that's important because I forgot who they were. I thought Michigan State was already in. They're not. I forgot Oklahoma State was in. They lost. So when I sent this out to the Texans this week, Shahan, I did it wrong. But this is the great thing about having a show where, you know, we have no oversight, really. I mean, like, you know, people have meetings about us, but I mean, what are they going to do? Are they going to call me into the principal's office and be like, you screwed up the Michigan State thing. I screw this stuff up all the time. So we're going to address three teams this week, Shahan, about should they be added to our discussion. We'll do Michigan State last. Let's do Pitt. Pitt is now a one-loss team 
with a win over Clemson. And this, even though Clemson still stinks, they're still Clemson. So Pitt beating Clemson last week, Clemson's now four and three, was the most legitimate thing I think that Pitt could do, Shahan. And I will tell you this, Mel Kuyper updated his NFL draft rankings for the 2022 NFL draft. The number one quarterback on his list now, on his big board, is Pitt quarterback Kenny Pickett. What? (laughs) I will say... No offense to Mel and the draft expert. Sometimes the middle of the year draft stuff is like, okay, you just got swept up because you saw a highlight, man. No, I know you do the research. I'm not sure how dug in you are in October. I'm just telling you, he's famous. He's got famous hair. He's got a junior at the end of his name. He has Kenny Pickett as the 15th best prospect in the 2022 NFL draft, the first quarterback. That's what we're dealing with with Pitt. They have one horrible loss to Western Michigan. Western Michigan got like pasted by Michigan, lost to some other teams. They somehow beat Pitt. But sometimes you can overcome a weird loss, Shahan. Has Pitt overcome it enough to join our discussion at this point? I am going to vote no for the moment. I I Mm. think that Pitt is really close for me. And I think the biggest thing that I'll say about them, and the biggest thing that I'll say also when we get to Wake Forest, is that the path is starting to come together a little bit because they have each other because they have the opportunity. That makes me so happy. They have each other. So in the coming weeks, they get Miami, they get North Carolina, they get Virginia, they get Syracuse. And these aren't awesome teams, but they're fine. They're decent teams. They're above average teams. They should be bowl teams. And so if they go through and win all those games and then get to play Wake Forest, who will probably be a top 10 type team uh, in the ACC championship game, I think that creates a path. But it's just they're number 17 in the country right now. Again, I, I don't know how the committee is going to look at them, especially since I imagine that the committee is not going to give them a lot of credit for beating an unranked Clemson. I, I just feel like they're kind of far away. Although I will say, I'm a little shocked that uh, that Mel Kiper has Kenny Pickett number one. Kenny Pickett to me has been the best quarterback in college football this year. I, I do think of that's legitimate. He was on our midseason CBS uh, Sports midseason All America team. I think he's been that good this year. He's been the difference between Pitt being a fine team the last couple of years and being this you know, the best team in the ACC potentially. Uh, so I do think that he deserves a lot of credit for that. But wow, it's still very weird to see a, you know, a fifth or sixth year quarterback who came into the year as basically undraftable suddenly being number one. Yeah, no, I, I think Mel might be a little a little high there. Um, I mean, just high with the ranking. Pitt is 17th in the AP poll, jumping up six spots this week. I think the AP poll is a little low on them. They're behind a bunch of one loss teams that I'm like, is there a huge particular reason like why they're behind Oklahoma state or Kentucky or teams like that? It's a bad loss. It's a really bad loss. And I do understand it takes you a while to shed that. I actually would like them in because I do think to your point with, with Clemson obliterating the ACC because it's a one-team league, and it's like, well, that's it. The ACC is not making the playoff. Your point of the path opening for the ACC, because the path is this. If Alabama loses to Georgia in the SEC title game, so it's only one SEC team. If, the, if Oklahoma loses, and if Oregon loses in the regular season along the way, and you end up with a wounded, looking terrible all year, 
one loss Oklahoma as the Big 12 champ, or even Oklahoma not as the Big 12 champ, and it's somebody else, and you wind up with the two-loss Oregon, I do think there's a path then for your playoff to be Georgia, the one-loss Big 10 champ, Cincinnati, and maybe the winner of Pitt-Wake Forest. If Wake Forest is undefeated and Pitt only has one loss in that ACC championship game, and that ACC championship game is something like six versus eight, right? Now they have to both keep winning and they do need each other. And the idea, seriously, of these two, like sort of unknown, a little shy, right? They're a little Clemson's, like Clemson's in class. Clemson's like, hey, everybody, I got my varsity jacket on. Look, I'm Dabo Clemson. And everybody like that, they, that guy's kind of cool, but kind of annoying, right? Takes up all the oxygen in the room. Pitt and Wake Forest are kind of in the back corner, right? Little. They, but they look across the room like the Clemson guy. Clemson guy like walks up to sharpen his pencil and trips and falls and rips his pants. And Pitt and Wake Forest look across the room at each other and they catch each other's eye and they share a shy smile. And that is the ACC playoff hope right now in that shy smile. What is going on? What am I listening to? I like to turn everything in sports into after school specials just in my own head. <laughs> So that's that's what I did there. Uh, I want Pitt in. I want Pitt in now because to me, it's like I know Clemson is terrible this year, but they're famous. <laughs> that's enough for me. That's also that's also sort of what my personal motto: terrible but kind of famous. Pitt is six and one. I want them in. You don't. The Texers say no. Seventy-two percent got to wait. Pitt. Sorry, <clears throat> I tried. I tried. No to Pitt. How about Wake? They're undefeated and they dropped 70 on a service academy, which frankly I think might be unpatriotic. I'm not sure I loved it, right? God bless America. Maybe not 70 on it, but they also gave up 56, I think, so they had to score 70. Sam Hartman, their quarterback, was part of our Heisman conversation on the Tuesday show. If you want to subscribe to the Tuesday show on Apple Podcasts, we talked all about the Heisman candidates from playoff teams. Do you want Wake? Because at least they're undefeated. Do you want Wake? Yes or no, Shahan? I'm going to say yes to Wake. And the reason that I say that is, like you mentioned, they're undefeated. They also, I think, have more chances left to prove themselves. They play NC State on uh, November 13th. They play Clemson on November 20th. Like, I I think that they have more chances. They're also higher in the rankings right now. And part of my logic is where we sit right now, like, they, they need to be within striking distance, right? And at this point, I'm worried that... Pitt is not within striking distance. I, I'm not as worried about that with Wake Forest. If Wake Forest goes and they finish undefeated, they they still need some things to go right, right? Like because the ACC has been kind of so poor this year. But I do think that you're going to have potentially, you know, teams that have been ranked at some point this season in Clemson and NC State and Boston College who still have some respect. Uh, I, I think if they go through and win all of those games and then go and beat uh, a one-loss pit that's probably close to a top 10 team at least in the ACC title game. I think that there's a much more reasonable path and they've showed less reason for me to doubt them than pit what they did earlier in the year. Now we're breaking this friendship apart. Now, now one's going to get in. Now one's going to get to sit at the lunch table and one's not like Wake Forest and Pitt are now walking into the lunchroom together. Hey, Wake, hey, Pitt, hey, Panthers, what's going on? You want to sit together at lunch? Sure, that's so good to sit, sit together at lunch. But now the playoff table is going to call wave over and Pitt and Wake are going to be like, look, the playoff table is calling us over. 
And then the playoff table is going to be like, not you to pit. Just you, Wake. And we're going to break up this, this beautiful, blossoming friendship. Wake, Texters, no. 74% no on Wake. So in the name of the friendship, I'm going to say no to Wake. <laughs> I want them. I want them to go sit together at their table, and they can bemoan the fact that even though Clemson fell down and tore its pants, neither of them have been invited to the table yet. I'm also a little confused by the numbers. The numbers love Pitt. The SP Plus rankings from ESPN and Bill Conley. Pitt is ninth. Wake Forest is 37th. Now again. There are flaws in these numbers. Clemson is still fourth because there's some preseason stuff that factors in there. So, like, uh, again, take some of that stuff with a grain of salt. Like, that's not great. If you have Clemson fourth in your thing, I do think you have to question your rankings a little bit. Uh, And the Football Outsiders FEI efficiency rankings, uh, Wake Forest is 12th. So that's pretty encouraging. And Pitt is 16th. But we'll wait on both for now. We're split. We're not going to divide them. We'll wait on both ACC teams while acknowledging the path is at least starting to open up. And I will say, I will say in regards to SP plus, cause I have a little bit more knowledge about that, that system. So it's one of the things with SP plus, like you mentioned, the preseason predictive analytics, which are part of it, right? Like, I mean, if a team is really talented and has a track record, that should factor in. Uh, so that's why Clemson's still high. And I imagine too, the other thing about it is that the way that the Western Michigan loss happened where it was a lot of turnovers, a lot of fluky plays like that sort of thing usually doesn't get counted against you quite as much in a system like that, because you know, you're, you're kind of given like a win probability at that point. And even if you lose the game on the field and it counts against your resume and all that, it doesn't always count fully against you in terms of that ranking. Right. So it means that even though you might've lost the game to Western Michigan, the system might treat you play-to-play efficiency-wise, like you might not have lost the game. Now, at the same time, we have to put that aside because they did lose the game, and that matters. But uh, but that's, that could be a big part of the reason why with Pitt, you know, they've already played Clemson. And, and then on top of that, I think Tennessee is ranked as like a top-20 team in their system because, again, play-to-play, that's what you're looking at with an efficiency system. So it makes sense. Uh, I think that Wake is definitely undervalued. So, you know, we'll we'll kind of have to wait and see. They can uh, complain about us together at their lunch table. Let's go to Michigan State, who I thought was already in. I forgot that we didn't put them in last week. They didn't play this past week. So they couldn't add to the resume. And again, I do think their resume got dinged a little bit by the fact that Michigan State had trouble moving the ball against Indiana last time out in a 20-15 to win. And then Ohio State rolled Indiana. And Indiana was a top 20 defense in the nation going into that game Saturday in Bloomington when the Buckeyes dropped 44 in the first half. Now, Indiana lost its starting quarterback, had no functional offense, which contributed to Ohio State getting good field position and just going, 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 because Indiana like couldn't even hold the ball for three plays because they were on like their fourth quarterback. Um, so I didn't ask the texters about Michigan State. I may vote on behalf of the texters. I may get two votes on this one, depending. Shahan, should Michigan State be in our playoff discussion? Yeah, let's put them in. <laughs> oh, I saw I'm ready to <laughs> listen. Here's the thing, and we'll get to this because we're going to do a lot of big ten, ten, ten talk on the rest of the pod. Um, I actually think Michigan State is better than Michigan, hmm. having dug in on both those teams a little bit this week. So I am not exactly sure 
why we would think that Michigan is better than Michigan State based on the wins they have, based on the way they've looked in those wins, based on resume, based on how they go about functioning as a team. Um, I, I honestly don't know what the difference is. They've had, they've played three common opponents. They've both played Nebraska, Rutgers, and Northwestern, and their combined score in those three games is like practically the same. Like they they both have like a thirty point margin or so. I like it's, but they also kind of looked like the both looked like the worst team against Nebraska. Frankly, I think Nebraska probably should have beaten Michigan and Michigan State. So. If I think Michigan State might be better than Michigan, of course they have to be in. So I was – if you would have said no, I might have said, well, I'm going to vote yes on half of the Texas. I'm also going to vote yes, and Michigan State's going to be in. So Michigan State, which I already thought was in, is in. That brings us to 12, and that brings us to the point of talking about where we are ranking the rest of these teams this week with our shadow committee – But while doing that, we're going to talk a lot about Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, and the Oregon Ducks. We'll do it next on the College Football Playoff Show. In case you missed the last College Football Playoff Show. In general, I just think Heisman voters are crazy dumb. We had an era where Ty Detmer and Andre Ware and guys with giant stats were winning Heismans. Hey, that guy threw for 5,000 yards. He must be the best. We're heading back towards that, and we are going to wind up with lesser winners, which apparently you like. I don't really care that much whether a guy goes to the league and has success. We almost want to do that the opposite, whereas then we're pushing in Trent Richardson and Mark Ingram while they play on great teams, and so we should toss them in there, right? Like, A.J. McCarron finished second in Heisenberg. That is a joke. Absolute total joke. You made some pretty good points there. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts for exclusive college football playoff show bonus episodes. It's the college football playoff show. All right, Doug and Shahan, back for this. Again, we would love to have you on the Tuesday show. I thought we had an interesting discussion, and we really disagreed, Shahan, about a lot of how the the Heisman is conducted, how it should be conducted, how much being part of a playoff team should affect your candidacy. I thought I was making great points, and then you just, like, countered with one of those. I, like, threw a haymaker every now and then I connected, and then you just came back with, like, multiple combinations on me and you thought you won the argument i know you thought you won it i do yes that's correct. <laughs> moving on okay so let's talk about our shadow committee here why don't we just well we'll do it we'll do our whole top 12 it, the good thing is like i act since i since i already thought michigan state was in it i i already ranked michigan state and i already had the textures ranked michigan state so the last team that we have in in our shadow committee is penn state they are 12th in our rankings right now. They're now two loss Penn State. So let's talk about Penn State and Ohio State right now. Let's talk about this upcoming game on Saturday in Columbus that we thought was going to be a gigantic playoff matchup. We have talked previously on this podcast that Penn State is maybe the team in the Big Ten that is the least afraid of Ohio State, that is most capable of coming in and playing to its maximum against the Buckeyes and giving itself a chance the way we've seen Penn State do that before. Not that they've gotten them a lot in the, in the James Franklin era. They've won, beaten Ohio State once in the James Franklin era, but they've pushed them at least three other times, pushed them really hard. How are we to take in this disastrous nine-overtime loss against Illinois that the people at PennLive.com, great Penn State coverage, my friend Dave Jones, argued was potentially the worst loss in Penn State history? Um, <laughs> I went back... 
like just from a lot of standpoints, I went back and rewatched it. There's a point I, I wrote it down when Penn State went up 10 nothing, I think, early in the second quarter. And I said, like, if I didn't know what was going to happen the rest of this game and you said predict the final score, Penn State goes up 10 nothing with 11-12 left in the second quarter. I said, if I were to predict the final score right now, I would have guessed 27 to 7 the way the game was going because Penn State was forcing turnovers defensively. Illinois was as one-dimensional as I've ever seen a, seen a team be. They're putting nine offensive linemen on the field, some snaps. And it just felt like, well, Penn State has better talent. Yeah, quarterback Sean Clifford is injured, but they're going to figure this out. And they lost in nine overtimes. How did we take that? Does, is Penn State dead? Is that a sign like, is it is it terrible coaching? Is it terrible luck? How do we view this loss, Shahan? It just feels like this is this has been a trend, right? Because it's one thing to to have to watch that overtime over and over and them failing to get into the end zone and it just being miserable and scoring 20, 18 freaking points in nine overtimes. Like, that's one thing, right? But this is a trend. Like, against Iowa, obviously, once Sean Clifford went out, they were a much worse team, but they were struggling to move the ball anyway. Against Indiana, they didn't move the ball super well. Against Auburn, they didn't move the ball super well. So the way that I'm kind of looking at this team right now is almost not – quite to that level, but almost like Iowa, except with the not quite as dynamic defense. Like, I think that they're a team that, uh, that is very defense oriented and they're, they have a great defense. I think their defense can stack up with anybody in college football, but offensively, I just can't trust them. I don't think that they're going to be able to keep up with some of the better teams. Obviously they play Ohio state this week. I think that they might have some success defensively against Ohio state, but I see no way that their offense is going to be able to keep up. Again, this is, this is not a one-time thing to struggle offensively against Illinois. And you mentioned Sean Clifford being injured. Even when he wasn't injured, they didn't look like an awesome team. And now that he is injured, I, I just don't know what they have. Get Iowa's name out of your mouth when you're talking about the Penn State offense. That <laughs> I th- I think Penn State's offense when Clifford is healthy is still significantly better. They're 49th in the SP plus offensively. Iowa's 86. We've talked about Iowa's offensive failings before. I thought Clifford had played better this year. He's you know he had a couple turnovers against Iowa, but that they at least had a couple drives. I just there was an odd combination of things that happened in that Illinois game. There was a, a a ball to the end zone. We had he had Parker Washington open in the end zone, and he overthrew him, and they were held to a field goal. They had some stuff where they'd hit guys on a slant, and a guy would drop it, or somebody would be open, and they'd miss a block. I still can't believe they should have. Jahan Dotson, as talented as he is, he is, they were trying to get him the ball. And there were some weird things that happened. There would be like a bubble screen to him and the other guy, the guy would miss the block in front of him and he would get immediately tackled. It's like, he's got to make a block so that Jahan Dotson can try to do something. But I still would have tried to throw him 10 more slants in that game than they tried because when Illinois was in the box and they were in the box a lot still, it's like just whenever he's in one-on-one coverage, they were doing some stuff. They threw a ball. I think maybe the only ball they threw to him in the overtime, they threw like a lob to the corner of the end zone. It wasn't really a route. I thought if they, he had run a slant on that route, instead of running a corner, he would have been open for, for a score there, and they didn't do it. They had a Penn State forced a fumble and recovered it in the end zone, and they called that the forward progress of the Illinois guy was stopped and took the touchdown off the board. I actually thought that should have been a touchdown for the Penn State defense, and then that was seven points they didn't get. And then Clifford wasn't himself, 
but also his guys didn't help him out. Now they can't run. Penn State can't run the ball. And it's a little odd. And I did think the play calling was bad. But I thought there were like 10 times when Penn State could have pulled that game out of the fire. And they went 0 for 10 pulling the game out of the fire. Right? That it's like, listen, just make two plays and you're going to win. It's like, nope, we're going to make zero and lose to Illinois. Shahan, also, you're a football expert. You are a high-level Division One football player, right? Is that correct? Uh, that's incorrect. You, you played offensive line at Baylor? No, uh, that's what I thought. Absolutely not. <laughs> I thought that's why you're on the pod. No, because I sure as heck didn't play high-level football. Okay, well, then we'll just say what we think, even though we didn't play high-level football. Illinois is using, like, nine offensive linemen the whole game. Penn State didn't add a fifth defensive lineman on a single snap. They just played normal defense against nine offensive linemen and allowed their linebackers to get blocked on the second level play after play. It's like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen here. It's like, I don't know. Are the extra tackles going to get to the second level and block the three Penn State linebackers? Let's see if that happens for the 18th time. Oh, look, it did. There's like a, they're breaking off 25 yard run. Just like, hey, let's bring us, let's creep up a safety off the edge and have him kind of run blitz. A guy run blitzed, got around the edge. The running back was past him in the hole by the time the safety got there. And the safety like followed him through the hole and just chased him 25 yards downfield. And I, I was like, you know what? That safety could have been on that play. An extra defensive tackle. Why didn't they do that? <laughs> The whole game. <laughs> Illinois, you've never seen a team with this many offensive linemen. They have four tight ends in the game. It's a quarterback, a running back, and nine linemen. And Penn State is putting out four defensive linemen, three linebackers, and four DBs every play. That seems wrong to me. <laughs> it is funny, right? Because I think that especially in college, I think a lot of teams are just very hesitant to do things that they haven't prepared for. Like, and so I think that sometimes teams just get very like in their head about like, well, if we put another guy in here, then guys won't know where to be and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, at the same time, here's the funny stat. Okay. Illinois passed for 1.8 yards per attempt. They were (laughs) horrific and they averaged 5.3 yards per carry. And just this week, Brett Bielema was talking about, man, we have no offensive line depth because of how poorly that position was recruited uh, under the previous staff. So for Illinois to be able to come out and do that, I mean, obviously that's concerning. Again, though, it, to me, it's about the offense, right? It's, it's still about Penn State's offense. That's, that's my big concern. Uh, you mentioned Penn State having opportunities to win this game. That's more a testament to Illinois trying to lose this game than Penn State being they able were. to win this game because Penn State finished with 227 yards. 227 yards. They came, uh, Illinois came into this game allowing over 427 yards per game. Like, that's not good enough. You should be able to run against this team. You should be able to pass against this team. And if you're not passing or running against Illinois, I don't know how the heck you're going to be able to do that against anybody else at notes. Jaquan Brisker, the good, the really good Penn State safety had a play in one of the overtimes where he read, he read the play and jumped right in front of the guy and could have had the game clinching interception and dropped it. And then Illinois kicked the field goal to stay alive. Like just, just multiple times where one more play and Penn State would have won. So Penn State, I mean, their playoff chance, they're out of the playoff race, right? They're probably going to get kicked out of our playoff discussion here. They had two losses in the Big Ten and I get their quarterback was hurt, but like you've got to find a way to win those games for this Saturday though. Their secondary is still Joey Porter and Tariq Castro-Fields at corner, Jair Brown and Jaquan Brisker at safety. 
good. I think that's a good secondary still. I mean, Illinois, again, Illinois can't throw. The thing about they, they were, I think they were so worried about a play action pass off the nine offensive linemen look that they were like, well, we got to keep our guys in the game. And guess what? Illinois did run a play action pass finally, and Penn State still couldn't cover it. <laughs> Illinois scored a touchdown on it, but they had a guy illegally downfield blocking, but it worked to perfection even with their base defense in there. I couldn't believe they didn't adjust defensively better. Is it possible? Ellis Brooks, Brandon Smart, and Curtis Jacobs at linebacker, real dudes. I think their back seven is for real. Not much of a pass rush. Vulnerable against the run up the middle, for sure. With P.J. Mustafer, their best defensive tackle is out for the year. Is there, and we don't know what the deal is with Sean Clifford, right? I, I He was totally still nursing some kind of chest injury from the Iowa game. They put him out there. It felt maybe like the wrong the wrong answer to put him out there, but they just don't have no faith in their backup quarterbacks. They coached terribly. Brett Bielema out coached their pants off in that game for real and still barely won. Could we see a version of Penn state? That was like the worst of Penn state. They still have some talent. So they still have Jahan Dotson. They still have a really good tackle. They still have a good back seven defensively. Can James Franklin rally the troops? Could we see the best of Penn state? Like should Ohio state be on alert at all? Or are you saying no, the best of Penn State, they're so limited offensively, and there's no way Sean Clifford's going to be 100% that there's no sense thinking this could be any kind of competition in Columbus. So so here's a question that I have for you. I think a, a big part of this question is, has Ohio State's defense been, like, fixed? Is it is it done? Is it fixed since uh, since Matt Barnes took over as play caller? Or is it something where they just haven't been exposed again? It definitely could be the latter. It definitely could be the latter. It feels like their linebackers are still just trying to be good. They're pretty, their defensive tackles have played pretty well. They're getting healthier at defensive end. They have some freshmen helping at defensive end now. Their back end, they have a couple more playmakers there. They're better at corner than they were in the Oregon game. They actually have changed a lot of personnel since the Oregon game. They're, they're playing some different dudes, and they had a couple guys that stood out as making mistakes in that Oregon game who don't play anymore. So some of that has been fixed, but we don't know for sure, right? And we saw what Jahan Dotson for Penn State did last year against Ohio State with some one-handed catches on the sideline and that kind of stuff. That was almost his coming out party as like a first-round type of talent. We don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. So do, are, are you suggesting that possibly if if that is the case, they just haven't been tested, that – Penn State could find some way to test them? So the way that this game, in any way, which I, I don't know if it, if it can or will, but the way that this goes Penn State's way is Jahan Dotson having a David Bell game, like what David Bell did against Purdue, and it's them muddying the game up enough on the other side to be able to cause some issues. You mentioned, though, giving up AGAF runs – <laughs> that's that's not going to be ideal against one of the better running backs in college football. You know, that's going to be a big issue. And for how good Penn State is on the back end, I, I just don't know whether it's quite good enough. Because, I mean, I, I think that you almost have to think about it from, like, this perspective. What What's the least amount of points that Ohio State's going to score? And I probably think it's, like, 35. I, I think that's probably – that would be a great defense performance. And – Penn State scored 28 against Auburn. They scored 16 against Wisconsin. They scored 24 against uh, Indiana, 20 against Iowa, 18 against Illinois. So, like, even if they have a really, really good game, I, I just 
don't know. And the other thing too is that obviously in that uh, in that Oregon game, so much of what Ohio State struggled at defensively was just like losing guys in coverage, right? Like, and, and that's a big part of the game. If you have one receiver that everybody knows that you're trying to get the ball to, I don't know if that's enough. And the other thing too, and not that we're talking about the entire rest of the Big Ten, but like, I I don't know which of these other teams with Michigan or maybe Michigan State, uh, just in terms of matchups, have have enough guys at receiver to be able to lose defensively. I, I don't think that Penn State is that team. No, I, I don't think so either. I think the way that you phrased it with the minimum Ohio State's going to score on on almost anybody, maybe anybody that's not Georgia, right? And then it's like, can your offense can your offense get to that spot if your defense does a good job against what I think is pretty unanimously at this point the best offense in the country? Um, I think that's probably right. I think most of the Penn State Ohio State discussion is about like is Ohio State going to cover or not? Can can Penn State hold them down enough and do a little bit offensively? I would not be surprised to see a version of the best of Penn State coming off the worst of Penn State, but the question is is the best of Penn State even enough? And the answer is probably no. All right, let's get to so we have Penn State last. We'll work our way up here quickly. So Penn State we have 12th in our shadow committee. We then would have uh, Oklahoma State 11th because, like, they lost. They're one lost team. I don't think they need to be kicked out yet because they still have a chance to play Oklahoma. They still have a chance to win the Big 12. It's only one loss, but I don't feel a need to spend much time on Oklahoma State. Number 10 would be Iowa, and I think that makes sense to us, right, Shahan, that, again, you lose to Purdue – you're going to work your way through the West. I'm kind of out on Iowa. Do you have any disagreement with Iowa as number 10 in our shadow committee ranking? The path for Iowa is beating Ohio State, and we just talked about how even the best defense in college will. Like, I was maybe one that could keep them to, like, 28 on an awesome day, and, oh, boy, I was scoring 30 points. Does not seem like a, something that's going to happen. No. No, I, I, it's it's a lot like... It is a lot like the Penn State situation, I do think. I think maybe Iowa's a little bit better defensively than Penn State. Maybe Penn State, when it's healthy, is a little bit better offensively. But how does I how do either of those things match up to hold down Ohio State and rise up enough offensively to do it? It probably doesn't happen. Ninth for us in the shadow committee is Ole Miss. I'm just we don't give up on Ole Miss, honestly. Like Ole Miss is one weird Alabama loss away from making the SEC championship game and then giving Matt Corral and this up-tempo offense that goes for it on fourth down a shot against the best defense in the country in Georgia. Like, that is not nothing, Shahan. So Ole Miss is at the very least interesting, and at the best, Ole Miss might actually be, like, pretty good. Like, pretty, like, might be, like, the sixth-best team in the country kind of good when their offense is really clicking. So I'm glad Ole Miss is hanging around here in our shadow rankings. I will say you you kind of are penciling in a bunch of wins because they have to go to Auburn. They still have to play Texas A&M. They still have to go on the road at Mississippi State. So like those are three very losable games, especially that last game. I know that Mississippi State's not an awesome team, but it is a it's not just a rivalry game. It is a rivalry game that Egg Bowl is. So they have three potential opportunities to still lose. So yes, you know, Alabama, I think, is perfectly vulnerable. I, I just don't know if it's going to end up mattering. I still, every week I'm mad about 
the Texas A&M loss to Mississippi State. We should be talking about <laughs> Texas A&M, and we can't. You just can't talk about a two-loss team at this point. like Because we've never had a two-loss team in the playoff, and even in this crazy year, it just feels like there's no way for that to happen. And if Texas A&M had managed to beat Mississippi State and was standing here with one loss and a win over Bama, they would they would absolutely be in the absolute thick of every discussion. We I, I'd also be remiss not to mention November 6th, uh, we got the Hugh Freeze Bowl, Ole Miss versus Liberty. So, you know, something stupid's going to happen there. Ole Miss is going to win, but something stupid's going to happen. That's two of the best quarterbacks in the country. Yeah. That's that's going to be an interesting uh, high-scoring matchup, potentially. And, yes, something stupid will happen, I'm sure. All right, so let's get to the point where we're going to talk about this next game because our shadow ranking – you had said if Michigan State gets in, you would slot them in right ahead of Penn State. So that's where I slotted them in for you. And the Texters ranked Michigan State, mistakenly, but luckily, as it turns out, and I rank Michigan State. I will tell you that I myself rank Michigan State seventh. And the Texters rank Michigan State eighth. And that made Michigan State eighth in our shadow rankings, and Michigan is seventh in our shadow rankings. So let's talk about this game. They're really similar. I think two things about Michigan State, Michigan this Saturday. One is I think Michigan in this game will go to J.J. McCarthy, the freshman five-star quarterback, as their primary quarterback. I think the switch happens in this game, at least for this game at some point, and potentially for the rest of the year. I think we are on alert for a tremendous coaching job by Jim Harbaugh to have been working J.J. McCarthy in all year, basically as a running quarterback, but just giving him a chance to get snaps that matter in Big Ten games. It's a shadow quarterback, just like this is a shadow committee. He's been shadow quarterbacking the freshman so that when the move comes, it's not complete cold water in his face, right? But while he's been doing it in a way that hasn't, I don't think, lessened the confidence of Cade McNamara, the starter, or caused him to look over his shoulder or created a quarterback controversy because he's been sort of doing it in the shadows, even though he's been doing it in the middle of games as they are undefeated. Number two, if they don't do that, they lose. Because at this moment, the Michigan passing game is absolutely 100% non functional. It is among the worst passing games that I have ever seen for a team ranked this high. And the, the the algorithms, again, Shahan, the rankings love Michigan. That's because they can't watch Michigan. As far as I can tell, computer programs don't have eyeballs. Michigan is seventh in the SP plus ratings. They are 22nd in offense, eighth in defense. I do think this is a pretty solid defensive team. And they in the uh, they are fourth in the FEI rankings. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan in the FEI rankings. It's unbelievable, Shahan. And I do think Michigan State doesn't throw it a ton better, but their offense I think is more cohesive, more connected. Their pass game is more connected to their run game. Michigan's pass game at this point is everything behind the line of scrimmage, and occasionally deep shots to covered guys that don't tie into anything. Last week against Northwestern, they had a sequence where it's like they ran 20 straight times, and then they came out and threw deep on first down to a covered guy incomplete, threw deep on second down to a covered guy incomplete, and there was no cohesion. There was no setting up anything. It was just like, well, we haven't completed a pass downfield. Let's try it. 
And it's it's real like it's really bad. I have more numbers, but that's why I think Michigan State is actually a better team. I think they're both solid defensively. I think they're both clearly run first, but I think Peyton Thorne is better than Cade McNamara. Peyton Thorne, the Michigan State quarterback. And I think the Michigan State play calling makes more sense and gives them chances. Michigan State at times will hit some stuff down the field because they allow Kenneth Walker the third at running back to set defenses up. I don't think Michigan functions in a way where Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins, who are unbelievable, is a great running back duo. I don't feel like they set anything up for anything else. They just function on their own. They break tackles. And then Josh Gaddis, the play caller, is like, well, guess we've got to try to throw again. What do you think? <laughs> well, I was told uh, on the Tuesday podcast that uh, that Kenneth Walker the third actually isn't very good. So I assume that that means that Michigan's going to blow him out since they actually have good running backs, right? I, I said I didn't want a guy who's averaging four <laughs> yards per carry the last three games to win the Heisman. But he's a very fine Big Ten running back. I think he's the second best running back in the Big Ten. I mean, the thing, the thing with not to get into Kenneth Walker discourse, but I, I mean, I think that again, like you mentioned, everything that Michigan State does offensively is built off of what Kenneth Walker the third can do. And so here's the thing. I, I think that Michigan State, the biggest thing that I like about them versus Michigan is that they have an explosive play component that I don't think that Michigan has at all. Right. Michigan has to be a plotting team. That, that's what they have to do for all the talk about, oh, they've improved the offense. They're much more efficient, all this sort of stuff. They are still plotting. And with Michigan State, you got three playmakers that I really like. You got uh, that kid Naylor. I think it's Jalen Naylor. You got that kid. Jalen Naylor. Yep. Yep. And then you got Jalen Reed and then you got Kenneth Walker. Right. So like you got three guys who all can break off big plays. That, that's the biggest thing I like. And I think that, like you mentioned, the way that defenses have to account for Kenneth Walker is a big deal. I, I think that it changes the way that teams play defense against him. Now, the flip side is Indiana, like you mentioned, I, I think that they started to find some stuff. Uh, they were able to kind of take away that uh, that passing game a little bit with sort of their base coverage because they have really good defensive backs. And, you know, I, I think that that's part of the reason that we saw them struggle on October 16th. So I think that... <laughs> It's hard for me to tell, right? Because I, I think that you're right. I think that these are very similar teams. I had Michigan ahead of Michigan State primarily because they've, one, been more efficient, too. I think their defense is better. I think that they are comparable defenses. But I think that Michigan's is, like, half a step better. Uh, so I, I did give them the edge from mm. that perspective. They do have two guys at running back who are really good. So they kind of don't have to lean too much on one guy. Cause that's the other part of this whole Kenneth Walker thing, right? Is that he's running the ball nearly 30 times a game because they need him to, they need him to be successful or they're not going to win football games. Uh, and so I think that having two guys is an advantage, but I think you're right. I, I mean, I think that the passing game is an advantage for Michigan state. I think Peyton Thorson has been really, really good or Peyton Thorne, excuse me. I always mix up. I always conflate Peyton Thorne, and Clayton Thorson from uh, the, the old Northwestern quarterback. It's it's a problem. That's the that's the kind of problem that can only really happen if you're a real sicko uh, for college football. But anyway, uh, I think that Peyton Thorne is. I a mix up I mix up Peyton Thorne and Bella Thorne. Bella Thorne. That's not from something Shake that it happens. Off on the Disney Channel. <laughs> Never. She happened. was on that show with Zendaya. Like before Zendaya was like super super famous. And it was Bella Thorne and it was Zendaya and they were in high school. I think they were on a dance team and uh, we watched that show a lot. I actually thought Bella Thorne actually had a chance to be more famous than Zendaya. And now Zendaya is in Dune. 
Yeah. And I, I kind of can't believe it. But, you know, congratulations <laughs> to Zendaya. I'm, I was never a huge fan back then. I always said I thought she was a little bit of a hot shot. She seemed like a little bit of a hot shot on the show. But I think maybe she was just playing a character. So I shouldn't hold that against her. My kids say that all the time, that I shouldn't hold her character on a Disney Channel show against her in evaluating Dune. So I'm going to try to do that better. I, I imagine that what's asked of her in Shake It Up is probably a little different than what's <laughs> asked of her in Dune. But who's to know, really? I, I mean, I don't know. But can, can I can I just <laughs> interject here again? I believe I called the name of the show Shake It Off because I'm old <laughs> and I forget things. And you corrected me because you know the real name. You know the show. I'm the younger sister, man. Like, I wasn't a Disney Channel person. My sister was. She was all that stuff was on and she got a lot of control of the TV. So, no, I'm I'm very familiar with the the whole Disney Channel cinematic universe. But anyway, anyway, <laughs> I do like Peyton Thorne a lot. I think that he throws a good deep ball. I think that he's able to get over the top of defenses and I think that they're going to be able to score at least a couple of uh, of explosive plays. Right. That, that's the biggest thing that I'll give Michigan State credit. I don't know if play to play they're going to be able to stop Michigan's rushing game. I, I just don't know the answer to that. And like you mentioned, if they throw in JJ McCarthy and kind of give themselves a more dynamic passing component, assuming that they're, I mean, look, I, I, assuming that their receivers can get open, right? Assuming their receivers can make plays, because that's also been an issue just as much as the actual quarterback has been too. Uh, but you know, I think that if they do give themselves a dynamic component, I think that Michigan can certainly come out and, and win this game, but it, it's really going to be more of the play to play to me. It, it's going to be, you know, can Kenneth Walker keep up with those two guys at Michigan? It's going to be, can Michigan State hit on a big play? And right now, I don't know. I can't figure out if this is a stat. I thought someone might have said this to me, but then I just started looking it up, and I was like, am I inventing a stat? And I think I'm not. But I was trying to look at how often Michigan gets into third downs, right? That you have a first down, and then you end up having a third down after that first down. Or do you get 10 yards on first or second down? And like, they get into third down a lot. For instance, Ohio State, with that explosive offense, gets into th- gets into fewer third downs. They turn more first downs into more first downs without having to get to third down. And when you watch Michigan, a lot of time with their run game, it is not that they are just absolutely blowing defenses off the ball. There will be times where it feels like they're setting something up, and it's like, oh, look, it's third and three, and here they are. They're running the ball, and there's a defensive guy in the backfield. And then Blake Corum or Hassan Haskins breaks that tackle. They are not like tremendously explosive dynamic. I feel like they are both tackle breakers and they are making that run game work in a lot of ways. Cause I think the, the offensive line is solid. I don't feel like Michigan is, is like dominating in the run game, right? They're not pancaking people. So I'm curious about that. I'm curious about how often they're going to wind up in third downs and maybe against a little better defense. And again, Michigan and Michigan State are both pretty darn solid defenses, defenses, at least statistically. I'm curious if they'll convert those third downs less. And then, but then that might lead them to JJ McCarthy. It's such a wild card. And it's some of this is not, you know, Ronnie Bell, their best receiver, got hurt right at the beginning of the year, is out for the year. They have not been able to replace him. And so that's just where they are. They're just not as explosive. But I think to your point, Michigan State is more explosive if JJ McCarthy's not playing for Michigan. Cade McNamara, this is this is this what I just think is like staggering Michigan pass game numbers. Against Northwestern, Michigan, yards per attempt, 
against Nebraska, yards per attempt, 6.5. That's their last two games. Combined, the last two games, Michigan throwing the ball, 44 of 71 for 418 yards. That's 5.9 yards per attempt. Overall for the season, Michigan's yards per attempt is 8.0. I did the yards per attempt. This is like a metric for sort of like passing consistency and explosiveness, right? It's how many yards per attempt. I don't have to explain that. Penn State, Ohio State among the playoff teams in our discussion is the highest at 10.8. Georgia's 10.0. Wake Forest, 9.5. Pitt, 9.4. Bama, 9.4. Michigan State, 9.1. 9.1 is kind of significantly better than 8.0. Uh, Ole Miss, 9.0. Oklahoma, 8.4. Cincinnati, 8.1. Michigan, 8.0. Michigan is ahead of Oregon, Penn State, and Iowa. But in the history of the playoff, the 28 teams that have made the playoff, there have only been one, two, three. There have, only, there have been eight teams that have made the playoff with eight point yard, eight point zero yards per attempt or less, and it's it's a little antiquated, right? That it's becoming less and less frequent that you do that. In 2016, three of the four playoff teams were eight point zero or lower, but that was in an era when Bama did that on a regular basis. And then Bama figured out, welcome to the modern era. In the last four years of playoff teams. Only three of the 16 playoff teams in the last four years have been 8.0 yards per attempt or lower. It's Notre Dame both times and Clemson in 2017 with Kelly Bryant, right? So Michigan's like playoff path is Notre Dame, right? Notre Dame is the only team that has been able to do that. And then Notre Dame gets to the playoff and gets its doors blown off because it's not dynamic enough offensively. So that's what Michigan's trying to do. It's really hard to do that, Shahan. It's hard to do. You have to have a great defense. And the thing about Michigan is I do think they have playmakers at every level. Aiden Hutchinson, first-round talent at defensive end. John Ross at linebacker. Really good, smart, instinctual Big Ten linebacker. Daxton Hill, back end, slot corner, safety, blitz, coverage, dynamic, five-star recruit, can do some stuff. So I guess like there is a there is a formula for Michigan to do it, right, Jahan? But it's very specific and really difficult and doesn't have much much margin for error. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's like I kind of mentioned, it's it's play to play winning the short plays, it's it's their running backs converting on third down, it's holding on to the ball. I mean, it's it's very it's very old school, right? Like that's that's kind of what it ultimately ends up being. It's it is like the old Bama teams, right? That that is how this team kind of wants to play. Now they they are efficient. They are, you know, they they have shown that they at times can be explosive, but it's more kind of running backs breaking off runs. They kind of need to develop that next receiver, or like you mentioned, bring in a quarterback who can maybe throw guys open just a little bit more. So I, it's hard for me to not watch this game and be like, man. Neither of these teams is going to be able to keep up with Ohio State, but it's like that's. I feel like everything uh, that I watch in the Big Ten is like we're just heading for the same thing, man. Like, like none of these teams can really like just score enough to be able to keep up with that team. So, two two last questions about Michigan, Michigan State, and then we'll run through the rest of the teams very quickly. But th- there's a lot of stuff that's happening in the Big Ten that matters to the playoff this week, which is why I wanted to lean into these two Big Ten games. A of the two choices, Jim Harbaugh has been kind of goofy with the way he's used J.J. McCarthy so far this year as a five-star quarterback. That they've kind of turned into like a wildcat runner when actually he's a good thrower. Or B, he's a genius preparing him to take over when it matters. Which one do you think is more likely, goofy or genius? 
I think that I would lean a little bit more towards genius. Uh, I mean, genius is a very strong word. I, I don't want to, <laughs> you, you kind of were giving me a, a, a self-filling prophecy type question. I think that it's a, you know, that's not the kind of questions that we ask in journalism, but, uh, but at the same time, I do think that um, the way that he's handled him, I think has been good. Like you mentioned, I don't think that it's affected Cade McNamara's confidence too much. Uh, and I do think that, you know, we've seen situations. I mean, not, not that it's a comparable situation, but like with Penn State. You know, they, they go to their backup quarterback and their backup quarterback is just not ready. And I'm not saying that they have to, you know, pull McNamara or that they have to start McCarthy or anything like that. But I think that it increases your options. The fact that JJ McCarthy has seen multiple snaps in big games. And so I think that that does help kind of settle him down so that when you kind of ask him to do a little bit more, he's going to be more ready than most of these other quarterbacks, I think. I agree with that. I think it probably is more genius. But if like we're in the late in the third quarter and Michigan's down by 14 and J.J. McCarthy hasn't thrown a pass yet, we'll know that it was just goofy. This is a lot on the line, I think, for Jim Harbaugh. And then second thing is, I'm a little surprised by this. The line, it's at Michigan State. The line opened at minus two for Michigan. It's now moved to minus four and a half. Forget the line. That's just context. Who do you think wins? I'm going to take Michigan State in this game and and be ready to be proven wrong by the J.J. McCarthy emergence. But as it stands, I'll take Michigan State. Who are you taking? I think I'm going to lean Michigan. And the biggest thing that I'm concerned about with Michigan State is that, I, you know, we still haven't seen them play against talent. Like, Michigan is kind of in a lot of ways a very similar team to the ones that we saw, not in 2020, because 2020 was a weird year, but kind of 2019, 2018. Like, I know how they respond to talent. And when they see big, explosive talent on the outside, right, they can't keep up. This isn't a team in Michigan State that's consistently going to ask them to do that. Uh, you know, and so I look at what Michigan's done. I, I think that they're going to be able to kind of sit on this game. You know, Michigan State is a really good team, and it would not surprise me whatsoever if they won. This is one of the biggest games, uh, well, the biggest game since Mark D'Antonio left the program, of course. One of the biggest games since they were a college football playoff team. Uh, so I think that there's going to be a lot of juice for this game. I think that they're going to be able to do some nice things, and I think they're going to be ready. But I just don't know if top to bottom depth-wise, if Michigan State right now is where Michigan is. Three games against Nebraska, Rutgers, and Northwestern, Michigan State, 92-54 total score. That's a plus 38 in the points. Michigan against those three teams, 85-49. That's a plus 36 in uh, in those three games. Actually, Michigan State is outscored them by two more, so I have an edge. So I win. The the um, It's interesting. I mean, to have three common opponents in the world, uh, you know, where – we're only halfway through the season. It's pretty good. So we have a little bit of a read on this game, I think. It's important. And I do think the one thing – I mean, this is the undercard, as it turns out, right? That that it's sort of like Ohio State-Penn State is sort of like a championship belt fight. It's for a belt, but Ohio State's the champ. And it turns out the guy they're fighting is like, okay, but he's not the leading contender. He's kind of like a for the money. And the undercard – It's a Floyd Mayweather fight. Yeah, yeah. He's fighting one of those Paul brothers, right? <laughs> yeah, so something like that. Where, where it's just like, all right, you get to pick your matchups. You're going to pick a guy who you know you can beat, but maybe it'll look kind of impressive. That's what that game is. As bad as Penn State's week was, losing in nine overtimes to Illinois, it just got worse when I compared the Penn State football <laughs> program to a fake boxing YouTube star. I apologize to Penn State for that. But this Michigan-Michigan State thing is the undercard where the winner gets the champ. Right. They get the next shot. And that's kind of what matters. It almost not. 
I suppose to the fans of the Spartans, fans of the Spartans and Wolverines, it matters quite a bit. In the playoff context, it kind of doesn't matter who wins. There's going to be a winner of Michigan, Michigan State, and they're going to play Ohio State. And then that's it. The winner of, of this game has to beat Ohio State. And then, boy, oh, boy, here we go. That's where we are in the Big Ten right now. It's an interesting weekend for the Big I, Ten. I will say, I will back. say. Go ahead, th- go ahead. This is, this is kind of like a, this is kind of like a state of Michigan pick your champion, right? Like this is like a, okay, who's your contender? Who's, who's coming out here, right? Because, you know, we haven't talked about enough, uh, you know, children's stuff, whatever. Uh, you know, it's like the Hunger Games, right? You come out and, and you're like, this is my champion. This is the guy who's going to come, uh, and fight for our honor against the state of Ohio. So from that perspective, I do think it matters because whichever team wins this game jumps up potentially into the top five potentially of the rankings and is mm-hmm. the clear favorite to compete with Ohio State. Now, like I talked about, I don't know if either of these teams can actually beat Ohio State. I don't know if they can score enough points. Uh, but I do think that. Having that ranking, having that juice, uh, you know, having that advantage, I think that is a big deal heading into the rest of Big Ten play. I do think it's possible. So, like in the Hunger Games, right? You can you get picked as tribute, and then you can volunteer. I think the state of Michigan, like Michigan and Michigan State, might play, and then the winner is like the tribute, and then it's like, all right, we're sending them out into the world, and then they'll be like. Uh, Actually, we're going to send Western Michigan. They beat Pitt. <laughs> send them. And Western Michigan is like, what did I do? And it's like, you beat Pitt. Every, you think you're good now? You go play them. And then, like, Western Michigan has to go play Georgia, and they get murdered. And then Michigan's like, well, you know, at least we didn't get murdered. Okay, here's what we're going to do when we come back. We're going to run through the rest of our rankings so we can talk about Oregon. And then we're going to kick somebody out. We'll do that next on the College Football Playoff Show. The College Football Playoff Show, where the playoff never ends. All right, Shahan, I'm going to run through the entire shadow committee rankings. This is an exercise to get ready for next week when this show will become more specifically about what the rankings actually are, what we think of them, what we know them to mean going forward, and how we think they could change. We have Georgia number one unanimously, duh. We Cincinnati is two in our shadow rankings. Ohio State is three. We have a lot of Ohio voters, but there's actually, I also ranked Ohio State higher because I I sort of made a decision about some things, but we'll get to that in a second. All right. Georgia one, Cincinnati two, Ohio State three, Alabama four, Oklahoma five, Oregon six, Michigan seven, Michigan State eight, Ole Miss nine, Iowa 10, Oklahoma State 11, Penn State 12. The biggest difference is there. One is, so I will say this. I have Oregon third because I made a decision that I do think what Ohio State is doing on the field is more impressive at this point than what Bama's doing, than what Oklahoma's doing, and then what Michigan and Michigan State are doing. But I also believe that Oregon should still be ahead of Ohio State. And that's not just based on resume. It's it's what Oregon shows at times. We're going to talk about that next. So I decided to put Oregon third and Ohio State fourth ahead of Bama and Oklahoma because Oklahoma is still trying to lose. And Bama did give stuff up to Tennessee before getting it done. But they're not infallible. Shahan, you had Oklahoma third, Bama four, Ohio State five, Oregon six. We're all in the same range there. Am I wrong with my thinking? You, uh, The bottom line is, and we'll talk about Oregon right now before we kick somebody out. I have Oregon three. You have Oregon six. Does Oregon three sound crazy to your ear? So, I mean, I, I think that a big question with this, right, is like I think that I'm viewing 
Oregon as more of an anchor, whereas I think that you're seeing Ohio State as more of like a balloon, right? Where I, I think that that I view Oregon and how Oregon has played and how kind of inconsistent they've been and how not awesome they've looked at times and the fact that they still were a team that was able to beat Ohio State. And you mentioned different guys, uh, especially on that back end of the defense. Uh, Travion Henderson has played a much bigger role since that game. There's reasons why Ohio State has certainly improved, but I'm, I'm still always going to come back to Oregon played. You know, Oregon was the only kind of decent team that Ohio State played and uh, and they lost, right? So I'm still, I think, I, I think I'm still more in the neighborhood of Oregon pulling down what I think Ohio State is than saying, oh, well, Oregon's this good because Ohio State looks this good. It is interesting. I think we both believe still at this point as a playoff committee member, you kind of still have to connect them, however you do it. And you said it exactly right. It's anchor versus balloon, but they're still connected. The further we go in the season, the more data we get, the more games we have, the more eye tests, the more numbers. I think you can start to disconnect them more easily. But I do think in these first rankings next week, they still will be pretty connected. And we'll have to see whether whether the committee is more anchor or balloon. But let me say this. When I watched Oregon, I watched the whole UCLA game. I didn't watch the whole UCLA game because Illinois-Penn State wiped out the whole first quarter for like most of the country. So my recording picked it up when UCLA was ahead 14-0 in the second quarter. So let's just say that Oregon in the first quarter stuck. When they got it going, Anthony Brown, this inconsistent, enigmatic quarterback for Oregon, in the second half, he starts the second half 10 for 10. He is ripping throws. Oregon is down, I believe, 17 to 7 at the half. Is that right? No, 17-14, I think, at the half. Oregon comes out, marches 75 yards right down the field. I think Anthony Brown is six for six on the drive. Absolutely rips two lasers over the middle of the field. Looks like a Heisman candidate on those throws. Marches down the field. UCLA gets the ball back. Oregon, Kayvon Thibodeau is back. He is wrecking the game. They, they, or UCLA has to punt. The punter just drops it. He just drops the ball. Oregon takes over, scores again. They score 14 points immediately. Take the lead. Oregon in that moment, Shahan, again, the whole third quarter against UCLA with Kayvon Thibodeau wrecking stuff, Noah Sewell at linebacker, flowing to the ball, looking like an All-American. Yes, they lost C.J. Fridell for the year. Running back Travis Dye is a very solid running back. Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator who missed the Stanford game when they lost, is back. When Joe Moorhead and Anthony Brown are connected and that offense is in rhythm and Anthony Brown is confident, they look like they can score on anybody. I would give that Oregon offense, when it's flowing, a chance against Georgia's defense because Anthony Brown can rip it. He can run. When they got a little screwed up later in the fourth quarter, they had a must-have drive after they got the ball back. They call a quarterback keeper off a zone read. He runs 23 yards right away. He had a devastating draw for a touchdown. Like Joe Moorhead and Anthony Brown are in sync sometimes. Shahan, the best of Oregon, and I know we haven't seen it a ton since the Ohio State win, but with the two game wreckers, two, Kayvon Thibodeau and Noah Sewell, two game wreckers on defense, and a quarterback with upside and enough playmakers and a great play caller, at their best, they look like one of the four best teams in the country. Now, I haven't watched every snap when they haven't been their best. They barely beat Cal the week before. 
but it's right. Thibodeau's been hurt. Moorhead's been sidelined. I like good Oregon. The question is how much will we see good Oregon? But I got to tell you, man, good Oregon can run the table. And that will complicate the playoff picture for everybody if they win out in the Pac-12 and they're a one-loss team with a conference championship and a win over Ohio State. And good Oregon can do that. Apparently, Oregon just loves impressing you because when you watch their games, they show up. When I watch their games, they don't. Yeah, I watched uh, I watched all of their Cal game. I watched all of their Stanford game. They were not good games. They, they did not deserve to win either of those games. Uh, and I did watch portions of this game. Maybe I just turned – maybe that's the issue. I turned on the Oregon game late, and that's when uh, Anthony Brown threw his interceptions. But uh, – so so maybe you just don't want me watching your team if you're an Oregon fan. But they do – I mean, so the rest of the schedule is pretty manageable. The last two games are the ones that I'll really be looking at at Utah versus Oregon State, two pretty good teams. Uh, and then obviously the Pac-12 championship game. So, like – are they good enough to to run the table? Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm comfortable at this point saying that at their best they look like a top four team. I mean, I, I don't think that they look at this point better than Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama. Uh, I mean, you know, so it's Cincinnati for sure. Like, I, I just don't know if I'm quite comfortable putting them past any of those four teams in terms of who looks the best right now. Now, they've achieved more than some of those teams. But, uh, you know, so so to close the season, the other thing that I'll mention, too, is that their last three games against not great teams, UCLA is fine. I, I think that they got a big bump uh, from from beating LSU that looks to have maybe dissipated at this point because LSU is terrible. But, uh, you know, UCLA, they did score a bunch of points late, but it was a three-point game. Cal, a seven-point game. Stanford, losing a seven-point game. So, like, they haven't dominated anybody, well, really almost all year against an FBS opponent except for Arizona, right? Like, they haven't they haven't put a full game together where they've been able to dominate somebody. So, like, they'll have a chance this week against Colorado, who's terrible. They'll have a chance the next week against Washington, who's terrible. So, like, that's, that's what I really need to see, I think, before I'm comfortable putting them in that kind of top-five conversation is – Look, Oregon, you need to go and dominate somebody. You can't keep these games close. Cal is too bad a team to to be close against. Stanford is not a very good team, and you lost against them. I haven't seen them look dominant really at any point this year other than like the third quarter of that Ohio State game. Yeah, no, I think that's – I do think UCLA is pretty decent. Dorian Thompson-Robinson is like a slippery, tough fighter at quarterback. So – I actually and like I think Dorian Thompson Robinson actually like might be like the second best quarterback in the Big Ten if he played in the Big Ten and Oregon beat that guy right I mean that's I'm just trying I mean that's damning with faint praise but I mean he, he I thought he played well and then he actually got hurt late in the game but I will say so Anthony Brown has had this up and down year Ohio State win then he plays poorly without his offensive coordinator fans are talking about should he be benched for this freshman quarterback and Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit are doing the game and they're talking all about. Anthony Brown showing the haters and, you know, staying in tall and all this stuff. And they go up 34, 17 with 1153 to play. Right. And then like, the next two drives for Oregon is awful pick, awful pick. And it's like, well, I, <laughs> and the haters were like, see, so it, he's so inconsistent. Yeah. He looked, he was so good in the third quarter and so bad in the fourth quarter that he gave his team a huge lead and then he gave it right back and UCLA had the ball down three driving. Then Dorian Thompson Robinson gets hurt and like they're trying to win the game with their backup quarterback and Oregon makes a pick in the final minute to seal it. So 
Like that's where Oregon is. But like in and if they can survive it, like in any given moment, I wouldn't be afraid to throw them on the field against a good opponent. Right. That. Yes. Yeah, Ohio State is better than when Oregon beat them. But I think Oregon, when Oregon plays well, could hang. I think Oregon could hang with Bama when Oregon plays well. I think Oregon could beat Oklahoma when Oregon plays well. I think Oregon, Cincinnati, when it's good Oregon. But as to your point, they only play well when I watch. But I mean, I do think they're like good Oregon, like 30% of the time. So can they get to 50% of the time? Could they get to 65% of the time that they're good Oregon by the end of the year? I think that's the question. A is, can they survive? against the mediocre Pac-12 while they're bad Oregon? And then can they show enough of good Oregon to allow the committee to view beating Ohio State as a balloon for Oregon instead of an that being an anchor for Ohio State? Because there is the resume and there is the perception. Oregon's got to win both battles with the committee. And it's two. One is fighting through bad Oregon, and the other is showing enough of good Oregon. Definitely. And so they've got a lot of work to do, I think. Uh, just, again, play-to-play, down-to-down. I mean, you mentioned, obviously, the SP Plus ranking. That's one that we refer to a lot. They're 31st right now in SP Plus, right? Like, they have not been a consistently efficient team. But the upside is there. The question is, though, if we're only rating teams based on what the best version of them looks like, right? Like, I don't know. But there's a lot of teams then, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, when uh, when Oklahoma played in the second half against Texas, they looked amazing. When Wake Forest, uh, you know, dropped 70 on Army, they look amazing. Like there's a lot of teams that look pretty good when you only look at their best stuff. But you got you to gotta count the worst stuff, too. No, I, I agree. But I think some of the Oregon stuff is more explainable, right? That it's like, well, Thibodeau is battling injury. Moorhead was out when they don't have their main play call of their offense isn't as good they're maybe coalescing towards all being good. So I would just say, don't dismiss Oregon. Let's keep an eye on Oregon. And now let's kick somebody out. I forgot that Oklahoma State was in our rankings. So I forgot to give them as an option to the texters to kick them out. So Shahan, the only two options I gave were Penn State, which suffered its second loss last week, and Old Miss, which is still sort of like, I don't know, do people like Old Miss or not? I can't tell. You seem to go back and forth. You're coming around a little bit. I, I like Matt Corral. I, I just don't think that Ole Miss is a top four team. We are like opposite on Matt Corral and Kenneth Walker because it's like I I like Ole Miss as a whole team. You only like the quarterback. I kind of like Michigan State as a whole team. You kind of only like the running back, right, at Michigan State. So anyway, the bottom line is Penn State like is getting kicked out. Unless we're going to like executive order – Oklahoma State, because I forgot to give them as an option. 96% voted Penn State instead of Ole Miss. They have two losses. We've never had a two-loss playoff team. Their offense at the moment is putrid. Do we have any objection to kicking Penn State out? Does anybody want to kick out Oklahoma State instead? Oklahoma State suffered its first loss to Iowa State, but still has some stuff in front of it in the, in the Big 12. Yeah, no, th- there's no question about it that uh, that Penn State's the team. The other thing, too, is, again, neither of us really gave g- or give Penn State much of a chance playing against Ohio State this week, so they're about to be a three-loss team. Now, I think that there's a pretty good chance that they could play some sort of spoiler later in the year. I could see them, you know, upsetting the winner of Michigan, Michigan State. Like, I don't think that they're a bad football team, but it's just they were kind of able. And, and I think that this is kind of true with a lot of these Big Ten teams. You know, we were talking, what, five Big Ten teams in the top 10 at, at some point or top 11, maybe. Like, a lot of these teams were able to kind of coast up because they just didn't play each other. And so 
you know, I, I think that this is going to be kind of the moment where all of them start really coming back down to earth because we'll, we'll get to see them play against some of, some of the better teams and teams are going to pick up losses. And, you know, I think that, uh, again, Penn State's going to be a three loss team before we know it. And unfortunately, that just does not put them in this conversation. So we'll kick them out now. Goodbye, Penn State. Welcome, Michigan State who I already thought was in, and like re-welcome to Oklahoma State, who I forgot was in. <laughs> so we are back still at 11. Okay, we're at 11 teams, but we are on alert for the two best friends anybody ever had in the ACC, Wake Forest and Pitt, walking hand in hand through the ACC, hoping that together they can give themselves a chance. And isn't that, Shahan, all any of us are asking for in this great big crazy world. For Shahan J. Haraja, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was the College Football Playoff Show. The College Football Playoff Show, where the playoff never ends. <laughs>